If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer here today with JJ Cooper. Today was supposed to be two weeks into the Major League Baseball season and minor league opening day. Instead, everyone is still at home and sports in the U.S. remain shut down due to the coronavirus pandemic. The number of daily new cases is falling in some places, but still rising in others. And for all intents and purposes, we're still firmly in the middle of this with a long way to go. JJ, ESPN and the Associated Press reported this week on a plan to have all 30 teams play the season in Arizona, keeping players and team personnel essentially isolated and allowing travel only to and from their hotels and stadiums. Based on everything you're hearing and discussions with baseball officials, how much of this is a pipe dream versus an actual feasible plan? Is it practical in every way in what they're laying out? No. I mean, but at the same time, I also do kind of see where the exercise of trying to figure out how they're going to make this work helps them kind of work through the many issues. And I do mean many issues um, that may get to where, you know, baseball is playing again. I, I mean, of the major U S sports, it is notable that very few of them are more conducive to playing in a, I guess I would describe it as a a lower risk. Um, you know, you can't be in the current situation, but it's not baseball is not really a contact sport. Baseball does not involve a whole lot of you know standing on top of each other. Um, baseball does not involve lining up head up on someone and running into them over and over, then laying on top of them and uh, drooling on them and and doing other things, which other you know like like football. So. I think they have to kind of start the process. Do I think that they're going to be playing games, you know, MLB major league games in May? No, I don't think that's really going to happen at all. But I do understand. I was kind of reacted originally right away with the kind of skepticism to this. But now I've seen, I feel like that the reaction has almost gone overboard. Yes, if you played all the games in Arizona, it's really going to be hot. At the same time, when I say that, you can play games that start at 6 o'clock local time. How do we know this? Because they play AZL games every day that start at 6 o'clock. And, yes, it is 105 degrees when the game starts, and then it cools down as the game goes on. That's not ideal, but it is doable. It's not something where you say they can't do it because it's going to be on that day. And, again, my reaction to this, and I think the general reaction is, look, 
from a pure baseball perspective, you can pull this off. You have Chase Field where the Diamondbacks play, 10 spring training facilities. You can bring Phoenix Municipal Stadium where Arizona State plays and the Grand Canyon University ballpark. You have 13 stadiums in the greater Phoenix area. You have synthetic turf at Chase Field where you can play doubleheaders. It is feasible to play 15 games a day in the greater Phoenix area. You mentioned the intense summer heat. It'd be late start times for East Coast teams in terms of television uh, broadcasting when they go on the air. That might be 9 or 10 p.m. Eastern time, and that's not ideal. But again, you can do it. You can work through those things. For me, the biggest question, and it just really comes back down to things that are beyond baseball here, First and foremost, Arizona is not a green zone. According to the Arizona Department of Health, there's nearly 3,000 coronavirus cases in the state, more than half of which are in Maricopa County, which is where Phoenix, Scottsdale, Tempe, Glendale, all the main cities where these stadiums are. And on top of that, you're talking about, in some cases, like the Brewers and Twins, you're taking them from states where there are fewer cases and putting them into a state where there are more cases. Wisconsin and Minnesota have less reported cases than Arizona. So there's a bunch of health factors here. And the biggest one of all is, and give Jeff Passan at ESPN credit for putting this up top in his story, this is all dependent on the availability of coronavirus tests with a quick turnaround time significantly increasing. We can project out and say we hope by early May or late May that there will be a surge in the number of available tests. But as of right now, you know, it was only this past week, the Department of Health and Human Services released a report talking about hospitals are still dealing with massive shortages of testing kits and extended wait times for the results. As long as that's the reality on the ground, I want to say it'll be hard to put this plan into practice. It will be impossible to put this plan into practice. So I think we all want baseball back. You and I, our livelihoods depend on it. Trust us. We want baseball back as much as anyone that is listening to this podcast or in the country. By the same token, a lot of things have to happen on the health front before this becomes possible. The baseball part's the easy part. It's the health front that baseball is not in control of that's going to make this really feasible or not. Yeah, and I mean, the, at the same time, the other reality of it is, is that there are absolutely going to be hurdles no matter when they do this. And, and some of that, though, I, I put out again, and I know that Twitter is not a representative sample all the time, but I, I put out there kind of the, the question, which is, okay, what are you willing to sacrifice to have baseball this year? And, and kind of one of the, the crazy answers on that was um, some people basically said nothing. If it's not 162 games with fans in their regular stadiums, then they would just rather see baseball go away this year. And I feel very, very, very confident in saying that is not in any possible way the thought process of baseball. And one of the reasons for that is, is that baseball absolutely needs to play this year, if at all possible. Um, you know, but, and the reason being, I, I do think one of the things we're seeing is you know again the, the 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 books of major league teams are under you know are are not open records or anything like that but i i know i've been talking to a lot of minor league teams and we'll get to that later but they're talking about 
the cash flow issues that they face, understanding this. Well, MLB faces many of the same. Obviously, they're owned by much richer ownership groups in many cases, not one owner, but groups. But that said, these are large corporations. I mean, these are companies with literally hundreds of full-time employees, and they are paying them, but they are not bringing in really significant revenue of any kind right now at a time of year where they expected to be bringing in uh, literally millions of dollars regularly. You know, again, we talk about TV contracts and all, but if you just do the math on, you know, if you talk about a per cap of $75, which is really low at a major league game nowadays, but $75 per person, or let's call it even 50 per person, and you have 30,000 fans in stands, and you're getting $50 per person for them that night, that's a lot of revenue that you're not getting right now. They're going, and both MLB and the Player Association really need to figure out a way to play this year if they can in any way possible. Agreed. There's too much money at stake. Obviously, the vast majority of people in the country want to have baseball back just in terms of a distraction and a feeling of normalcy. I do think that one of the biggest keys here, again, is just going to be how well baseball can really truly keep all the various personnel safe with a plan like this. I agree that the idea of 162 games with fans in the stands, it it will not happen. It is not feasible to happen given the current environment the United States is operating under. That said, could you get 100 games where the season starts in June or July and you're playing in empty stadiums for the bulk of, if not all of the season? That is more likely and you know, somewhat more of a realistic possibility, although again, a lot of things have to be worked out. Even for that to happen, you mentioned what will, you know, what's the acceptable cost here? I would say, you know, we all want the games to happen, but not at the cost of older umpires or coaches getting sick. And there are players who do have underlying conditions. You know, it's been funny to me reading people saying, oh, they're professional athletes. They're in their 20s and 30s. They're in great health. There are players who have asthma. There are players who have diabetes. There are players who do have underlying conditions that could make things worse. And one of the things I I thought was interesting was reading another ESPN article that was talking about the National Hockey League and how they would potentially return. An NHL GM brought up that a false negative is bound to happen. When you test for anything, false negatives occur. So what happens if a false negative gets through? They're on the field. They find out later. You know, do they shut everything down? Some reports have said no, but others have said that's what you have to do. People have looked at South Korea as kind of, you know, the model of how this could potentially happen. Even putting aside South Korea has the coronavirus way more under control than the United States does. One of the things they've talked about is even the janitor cleaning the clubhouses. If they test positive, they shut everything down for two weeks. It's going to be very, very, very difficult for Major League Baseball to control the flow of movement of 26 or potentially more players per roster plus 15 to 20 ish coaches, trainers, strength and conditioning staff. In addition to TV crews, umpire security, and you're talking about 1500 to 2000 people total. You have to keep track of their movements and keep them in a bubble. That's very, very difficult to do. And I think for me, that's the biggest hurdle here. And I don't know if that can truly be overcome. I think it's a tough, it's a very difficult hurdle, but again, it, I think what it really depends on, you laid out some of the, the things with testing and all that. Part of it just depends on where, what is the overall condition 
of how we're operating as a country. I cannot imagine, and, and again, this was understandably trying to figure out scenarios where you can get baseball to play. I do not see a scenario where we're in the current environment where basically, I think last I heard, 93% of all Americans are under a stay-at-home order or something very close to a stay-at-home order by their uh, state governments. I don't see a situation with that where it's going to be like, okay, we're going to start playing baseball. Now, if a month from now or two months from now, we get to a point where I'm not even going to say normalcy has resumed, but we have a lot more people potentially working outside of the house again and things like that. Well, then that's where you're talking about, we're talking about a much different situation. And this is kind of where I wanted to ask a, a question, kind of again, but taking off a little bit of what we talked about as far as where's, too, what's the line that's too far? <coughs> Excuse me. If Major League Baseball can play in fanless stadiums, I don't think that's a, I do not think that you don't play baseball simply because you can't let fans in. I agree. Had, I agree. I, I think having, if they can get games played and you, you know, obviously it is a big financial hit. We've talked about, we wrote about it, baseball America ticket sales account for about 30% of the take you add in concessions, parking, all the other ancillary costs of attending a game. It's a lot of money, but some money is better than no money. And if you can play games, get the, get some of the broadcasting revenue, there's definitely benefits to having it. And I, I do think, yes, you, if the option is no fans, no games, or no fans, some games, you take no fans, some games from both the team perspective, as well as the fan perspective. I think people would rather watch baseball than have no baseball at all, even if it means they can't get to the stadium. And yeah, I mean, right now I've, I've watched virtual race because I want some sort of sports, you know, in my life, I would, be thrilled to have baseball, you know, going on all day. I, we're, but, but the other part of it is, is that I think we have to kind of, uh, as, as baseball fans understand the reality that this is not going to be a normal year in any way, shape or form. And if that means that the games, you know, start in July and we play through November and if that means that the entire playoffs are done at neutral sites and, and things like that, because it'd have to be if we play in November or December, I would absolutely rather myself see that than say, oh, oh just got to shake our head and say we can't play because we can't get a full 162 in by, you know, by uh, October. No, I, I don't see any reason you do that. And again, I also think I see zero, and I mean zero, uh, belief that that's something that is going to be want to be the case for for players or for for owners. I, it is something where they are going to want to figure out how to play this, year, or they need to play this year from an income standpoint. No question. And again, we all want that. I do want to give Major League Baseball credit here, as you alluded to at the beginning of the podcast, for thinking big, for thinking outside the box, for trying to come up with some sort of tangible plan that could get players back on the field, even if there are a lot of logistical hurdles that make it unlikely in some form or fashion. I have talked to a lot of players and coaches, uh, really even preceding this report and since this report, just swapping messages, finding out what their feelings are. And yeah, they want to get back on the field. It does seem like, again, the absolute best case scenario 
is that they return to some form of organized team setting on May 10th or 11th. That's the date from the original eight-week recommendation from the CDC of no gatherings of more than 50 people. That eight weeks expires May 10th. So the idea would be to get players out, whether it's in Arizona or their home cities, wherever they are, some form of organized team activities that second week of May or so. Most of the people I've talked to said they need a three-week spring training minimum to ramp back up without risking injury too much, which would put an opening day for regular season games around June 1st at various sites in Arizona. Again, that's best case scenario. A lot of others I've spoken to said it's probably more likely that the regular season kicks up mid to late June or early July. But again, if you have a July 1st start date, you play the regular season through November 1st, and then play postseason games throughout November at neutral sites, I think we can all agree some baseball is better than none. The question I have for you, JJ, that's interesting to me is, will the team, if that happens, will the team that wins the World Series this year, will there be an asterisk attached? Because we do have teams who have won shortened season World Series before, and the World Series is remembered as legitimate. The 1981 Dodgers, their World Series is not considered lesser. The 1972 A's, their World Series is not considered lesser. But the fact that the games could be played at neutral sites at times unusual for baseball, do you think people would remember a potential champion as having an asterisk attached to them? No. If we play a season, again, if you ask me about the 81 season, am I going to say it's unusual and one of the things normal? Absolutely. Because that one was a really weird season. But it counts. <laughs> it counts as you say, okay, who won a title? It counts on a list of titles. It's If we – I'll throw it back to you. How many regular season games to you does MLB have to play for it to be considered a legitimate season? Just speaking personally and subjectively here, I think about 81 games, a half a season. Um, Obviously, the more you can get, the better. Once you start getting into 100 to 124, that range, it's a legitimate season for me, just given the circumstances. I think when you start playing less than half the season, and I don't think it would get to that point, um, if you're talking about only playing 60 or 70 games, that, that starts getting a little dicey. But 81 game season, I think, would be legitimate for me. What about you? Probably somewhere around that. And, and again, I think if they can't start playing till August, I think we can figure out a way to get to 81 if we had to. Doubleheaders, fewer off days. We're playing till you can, again, you can play in Miami, you can play in San Diego, places like that year round. So you just keep on going. Um, you know, you, you, you do that. You, you basically just figure out a way to do it. But I think that you you can figure out ways to do it to get to 81 if there's a way to play. I mean, I think probably for that, August 15th, something around there is probably the, uh, the end date. The drop-dead date um, where if you can't start by there, then you probably do cancel the season. That's the date you see? Again, um, that, that's just off the back of my – you know, that's just back of the napkin you know, thought, but yeah, I, again, I just come back to MLB, like every other sport out there, professional sport is going to try to figure out a way to get through this and to get a season played this year, if it's at all possible. And and that's where I think it probably is a good transition to, to kind of talking about the other levels. I am way 
less confident about a minor league baseball season. Yeah, the minor leagues are much more dependent on gate revenue. Obviously, there are games broadcast on MILB.tv, but that's nowhere near the broadcast revenue that Major League Baseball teams receive. Minor league lifeblood is ticket sales and having people in the stands. They can't play games without people in the stands. They've talked about that. They've been open about that from the beginning. Where are things with minor league baseball? You've written about this. A lot of other people are talking about it today because it was scheduled to be minor league opening day, but you've been on top of this for weeks in advance. How many teams are we looking at potentially not surviving this? Because if you don't have fans in the stands, a lot of these minor league teams don't have a revenue and they fold. And that's been talked about a lot, that a lot of teams might not survive this. How many teams are we looking at are potentially at risk of folding because of this? Well, I I do want to say since I wrote a couple of weeks ago about, you know, and I think in that I cited that, you know, I'd talked to people who said is, you know, it could be 10, it could be 40. Something that has happened since then I do think is important is the, uh, the legislation has passed for what the payroll protection program that is designed to help small businesses and really help small businesses pay, uh, you know, pay their employees. Well, Almost every MILB team, maybe every, uh, probably every MILB team qualifies for that. They are small businesses. They have less than 500 employees. In most cases, they have less than 100. Well, in almost every minor league case, they have less than 100. In some cases, they have as few as like five or six. Or in some cases, the Happy League, two, one or two. But so that's going to help because that is a lifeline. That's a forgivable loan. You can get basically government-backed loan for roughly two and a half months of full-time payroll, and that uh, that will help. That will absolutely help. There are also are some some disaster loans, which also will help because the reality of it is is that if there is a promise that you're still going to be around next year. And that's a big if right now with everything going on in minor league baseball and major league baseball and the professional baseball agreement negotiations. But if that happens, you have every reason for almost any team in baseball to figure out a ways to get to next year. Now, I mean, if that means taking out loans, if that means doing whatever you have to do, if that means, and again, I have heard reports, I've, I've talked to people, I shouldn't say I heard reports, I have talked to people in minor league baseball who have heard of in their league full-time employees at minor league clubs being laid, being laid off or are being furloughed during this. I expect that we will see more of that probably. But if you're a minor league team and you're, you, if you're an owner of a minor league team, let's put it that way. And yes, this is brutal because you have expenses and all the revenue you were counting on is not coming in. But it, is, it makes all the sense in the world to figure out whatever way you can to make it to the other side of this because you have a club, in many cases, it's valued at millions of dollars. Um, however, uh, you know, this is a big caveat with that. If you can't get uh, relief on paying your mortgage in the case of a few teams, or in most cases, if you can't get relief on paying your lease, there are bills and expenses that are going to be very difficult for some teams to pay. And at the end of it, the real problem is, is, is that it's very, unfortunately, 
easy to map out a scenario where Major League Baseball plays this year and Minor League Baseball doesn't because, as you said, absolutely true. Major League Baseball playing without fans brings in millions and millions of dollars, and at the end of the day, you'd rather have some millions of your millions of dollars revenue than no millions. For Minor League Baseball, if you can't, not only if you can't bring fans in, even if somehow we got a dispensation, you know, and in August, it's okay that you can have fans. If those fans also aren't comfortable coming to games, you very quickly go below your break-even point on it being worth, worthwhile for you to open the gates. Minor league baseball is a feast or famine sport in many ways. You are counting on having a full house on Memorial Day. You are counting on having a full house on the fireworks nights around the 4th of July. You're counting on those Fridays and Saturdays during the season where you pack the house. And the packing of the house on those days is what makes the rough Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays, you know, it, it evens those out. You also nowadays are counting on filling your ballpark a few, to, in some cases, several times a year with these education days where you bring all the school kids in and they fill the, you know, they fill the stadium. And so you have, as, as I've had many owner or an operator tell me, those sixth, seventh, and eighth graders, they bring money and they pay, they buy concessions and they buy lunch there. And, and so you make money on those days too. Well, we already know that, that the education days are, are gone. You've lost those this year. Those are not happening. We already know that it is, incredibly unlikely you're going to have the traffic that you normally get as a minor league team for full season club around Memorial Day. Now the question is, is are they going to be able to have fans for the 4th of July and all that? And unlike Major League Baseball, we talk about Major League Baseball could play through December. Well, minor league baseball can't. You can't play in the Midwest League in November. You can't play in a lot of those places, you know, in the Eastern League in November. But on top of that, the professional baseball agreement ends on September 30th. So, even if they played their season, that's the, the absolute positive last day they can play. So they can't find extra dates by extending the season, you know, into November, December or whenever. In theory, if they were able to get going in, say, July, because we know minor league baseball will take the cue from major league baseball. When major league baseball gets started back up, that's the possibility of when minor league baseball gets started back up. Could you see a July through September season, minor league baseball get, say, you know, out of their 140 games, maybe they get 100, maybe a little more, a little less. Is that something that would be okay for minor league baseball, or are those 40 lost dates potentially going to be too much to overcome, even in a July to September scenario? What we just said about the MLB applies here, too, I would say. You would rather get some of your revenue than not, because you don't gain anything you, you really don't. You don't gain anything by saying, oh, we can't. If you can get fans in the stands, 100 games of revenue is way better than, say, than not having revenue. Um, you know, 80 games of revenue is better than not having, you know, again, which 80 games, let's be honest, means 40 games of revenue because you play half the games on the road. Um, I, to take this a little further, though, let's say that there is a club who can't make it to opening day. Pretty much, we've seen this before. I mean, thankfully not in a long time, but this used to be something that absolutely was uh, something that happened in, in minor league baseball. You go back to the 60s and 70s, and you go to indie ball much more recently than that, and you would have a team that 
you can go back to the late 70s, and I remember there was a year that the Carolina League had basically ran out of money and had to declare bankruptcy during the season. So what happens? Well, the rest of the uh, the, the rest of the, uh, the the team ends up uh, the rest of the teams in that league end up funding to basically get them through the season. One team does that in the league, it, that's what's going to happen. The problem you're going to have is two, three, four teams. If something like that happened in a league, well, then the, the rest of the league's not going to have a, an ability from what the people I've talked to to kind of just step in and, and fund to get that team through the rest of the season. That's, that becomes way less likely. So, you know, but yeah, if you can get 80 games in, you still want to get those 80 because again, you're, you're paying out right now with no revenue really practically uh, to speak of. You would rather have some revenue. And the revenue, again, it, it goes beyond just, you know, okay, funding the owners and the team operations. So many people's livelihoods are at stake here. Uh, I've had a couple of scouts reach out to me, and I've talked to some of them about what their situation is moving forward. I know you've talked to some minor league coaches, and uh, Commissioner Rob Manfred was able to reach an understanding with all 30 clubs that they would keep their employees paid through April 30th. After that date, though, nothing is certain. There's a lot of scouts out there. There's a lot of coaches out there, particularly minor league coaches who on May 1st expect to find out that they've been furloughed or worst case scenario laid off and their paychecks stop coming. What have you been hearing just in regards to this in terms of how many teams are, are looking at this? Um, I, I've become aware of two teams whose scouts are very nervous. Uh, I know you've uh, spoken a little bit to some minor league coaches out there who are nervous about what their teams might do. How many teams do you feel like based on your discussions are seriously considering furloughing or laying off scouts and other team personnel come May 1st? I don't have a good simply because I wouldn't feel comfortable speculating unless at least to talk to like 20 clubs, you know, and, and as we know, like a lot of the people we're talking to understandably are very, very worried, but it's a lot of, there's a lot of unknown to that, that we just don't know the answer to yet. I am absolutely, absolutely hearing of people who are, you know, I've talked to people who are worried. I mean, they don't, they are not comfortable that they're going to be uh, necessarily getting paid come May 1st. Now, again, on the minor league side, I do think the PPP, the pay, payroll protection plan, will have a significant impact on that because if you take that money, that is dependent on you. That it is a forgivable loan, but it is only forgivable if you keep the same or roughly the same number of people on, on payroll. So you can't take that money and then just lay everyone off and say, oh, I don't have to pay that money back. No, then you're going to, have to pay that money back. It then becomes a loan. So that's going to help on the minor league side. On the major league side, these teams are, are, from what I understand, too big for that. Now, that doesn't mean there may not be other money for them to tap and, and things like that. I believe that there absolutely are going to be capital calls, which to explain very briefly to people. So you have an ownership group. Let's say that you need $5 million in cash to, to continue operating over the next month or whatever. Well, then the call goes out to the ownership, the people who own a, you know, a percent or 5% or, or 20% or, or 70%. And it's, it's something where you're basically required to come up with that amount of cash to help fund the club. And if you can't, there often are penalties. You may lose 
your 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 share of the club may be reduced if you can't come up with that money. So that's gonna I would expect happen in some of these cases. Um, but no, I there are I agree completely with you. There are a lot of people uh, in Major League Baseball that work for Major League Baseball teams in a variety of roles who are absolutely worried about whether they're going to be paid, you know, not just May 1st, but especially all summer if there aren't games. That's, again, one of the other impetuses of where everyone involved in this kind of needs baseball to keep on going. And again, it's a reflection of society as a whole. Obviously, people outside of baseball are facing that same dilemma. We've seen unemployment numbers skyrocket. And again, this is something that goes beyond baseball. Um, According to the CDC, the number of cases in the United States increased by more than 30,000 just from Tuesday to Wednesday. So while it is cooling off in some places, it's increasing in others. This is still something that the United States is trying to get a handle on as a whole. And before baseball returns, um, that that has to happen. And that's just something that's so unknown. And we have to see how it plays out. But again, by the same token, you you look at the Arizona plan, you're right. I think a lot of people initially saw it and said, no way. You read more about it. And my feelings have changed to the point of, you know what? I give them credit for thinking big. I give them credit for thinking outside the box. I give them credit for being willing to be aggressive about potentially getting baseball back on the field. Whether or not they can overcome all of the obstacles remains to be seen. I think there's understandable skepticism about that, but at the same time, give them credit for thinking big. And hopefully if things are able to improve on a nationwide scale, this becomes more likely and more feasible when we talk at this time next month. It's crazy to think about, but today is April 9th. It was less than a month ago that everything got shut down. You think about how much everything has changed from just say March 9th to April 9th. Hopefully things can change as much, but in the other direction between April 9th and May 9th, and then maybe it becomes more feasible for baseball to pull this off. Uh, Yeah. And I mean, again, we've talked about the majors and minors. This is affecting baseball at absolutely every level of baseball. I mean, we don't know. We can't fully say what does this mean for, for little league and rec league baseball right now. We can't say, you know, what this is going to mean for the summer showcase season. We've already seen at least one college wood bat summer league that has uh, that has canceled their uh, their summer season. We don't know, you know, how how many summer leagues are going to be able to play. College baseball is not only affected by the shutdown of you know their season and, and all that and reduced revenues at schools, but but also, uh, you know, is going to understandably be very, very nervous about what happens with college football this fall, because without college football, a whole lot of Division One sports and baseball is one of those. It becomes very difficult for it to be financially feasible, and that's worrisome. Even just funding scholarships, Teddy Cahill and Joe Healy, our excellent college writers, wrote about this, that the spring sports eligibility relief that the NCAA Division I Council granted was great for so many athletes because their lost season, they have a chance to get that back. 
However, schools aren't certain they can actually fund the scholarships. They're not sure that they can afford to bring these players back, especially if college football isn't played in the fall. This is something that's affected every level, uh, the draft, college, majors, minors. Obviously, the majors and minors are what's on most people's minds because they're the most prominent and they're supposed to be what's going full tilt right now. Again, Major League Baseball, we're supposed to be two weeks into the season. Under normal normal circumstances, we're talking about the guy who's come out of nowhere and had a great start. This is normally when we're talking about the Jeremy Hazelbakers of the world. Instead, we're talking about the coronavirus. Uh, it's not a place any of us want to be, and we hope baseball can get back sooner rather than later. And just have to see how everything shakes out. JJ, any final thoughts just as we move into month two, really, of the new reality? Well, I do want to say again, you know, a lot of the people listening to this are BA subscribers, and we just thank you because um, the reality of it is, is that just complete honest talk. I mean, this is a time where, understandably, uh, traffic for any sports site in the country and probably the world has taken a hit from this because we don't have the games going on. That's obvious. Um, I saw a number where ESPN said their traffic to their website's down 40%. Well, traffic's down pretty much everywhere. And advertising is also down pretty much everywhere because understandably, there are a lot of places right now that aren't advertising a whole lot because they had to shut down. And so why would you advertise? And they also in the economic situation we're in, you know, a, a lot of companies need to conserve, uh, conserve their funds. Well, all that adds up to the way that Baseball America keeps functioning and the reason we can and the reason that we've been able to pay, you know, our staff and, and all that is because we have really loyal subscribers and we have people who are joining that group every day and becoming loyal subscribers in what is a really difficult time economically for a lot of people. So I just wanted to, at least it, during this, get that out again, which is thank you to all of you subscribers because you're what allows us. We're doing a massive amount of draft calls. We did a, you know, a, a top 100 quote update today, although we didn't change any rankings, but we looked at their top game. We've got stories that we're working on for the next, uh, you know, the next week, and we've got the, the draft preview magazine that we're starting to, put together and, and all that. And that's all able to be done because of our subscribers. Thank you. Yeah. Second that we are very, very grateful for all of you subscribers and all you listeners. And we'll continue to pump out more great content for everyone here at baseball America for JJ Cooper. I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening, everybody. Stay safe. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.